0: Hello, and welcome to Oh No, Ross and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on fringe science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal.
1: Mm-mm. No, no, no. Mm-mm. We would never.
0: <laughs> we read books ourselves.
1: That's right. When they make the claims... And write them down. We read them so you don't have to. I'm Carrie Poppy.
0: Even if they were written when we were, when I was five, I think this came out. This
1: is 1987. Yep. I was four, you were five.
0: I'm Ross Blotcher. And this is our, I was going to say promised episode, our review of Whitley Strieber's Communion.
1: And if you can't tell, this is also maybe the earliest we've ever recorded.
0: That's right. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning. This is what we look like at, well, now it's 7.30, but we met about an (laughs) hour ago. It's audio. <laughs> for us, for oh, us. Oh yeah, here. yeah. Okay, that's what
1: you look like. Oh my goodness, Georgie just you. drinks
0: out of every cup, doesn't yeah. she? Okay, she's over on your counter, drinking. my little kitten. Out of she wants cup. to
1: drink water.
0: Carrie's had to bring me water twice. Thank you very much. Okay, so yes, we are early in the morning. We are talking about communion with, by
1: Whitley Strieber. By
0: Whitley Strieber, and by popular demand, uh, Carrie suggested this. Thank you for this book assignment, mm-hmm. uh, but we let the listeners vote. And just from Facebook alone, we had 107 votes for yes, do it. Okay. And we had 24 votes for, I get it, a guy thinks he was abducted by aliens.
1: Okay, okay.
0: Which is fair and our apologies to all of you.
1: Yeah, a guy does think he was abducted by aliens. And if that's all you need to know, keep going. It's fine. (laughs) Uh, And I tweeted it myself and asked, broadly if people want me and my friend Ross to read this memoir because I didn't know Twitter would know what the heck I was talking about if I didn't (laughs) like okay this lady wants to know
0: if she and her friend should read a book yeah Yeah, do it Or I'm for literacy. <laughs> I'm, I'm
1: always thinking through these, uh, how this operation is actually going to play out. Sure. Okay. So my three options were A, yes, read communion. Tell us all about it. B, I get it. A guy thinks he was abducted by aliens. <laughs> C, don't like podcasts, love polls. Because you always yeah. have these people who want to vote and you got to give them a space right. to the wastebasket of the poll. So we had 81.7% A. Okay. 13.4% B. 5% C, and that was out of 262 votes.
0: Okay, sounds roughly similar, and uh, thank you to people who responded on the podcast Twitter, the podcast X. For mm,
1: Yeah, should I go look at that? Where
0: we exuded.
1: That has 36 replies, and I'm just going to look for Bs because I'm mostly seeing A's. One, two, five B's, and 31 A's.
0: Hey, all right. Well, we see you, B's, but uh, well, yeah, let's talk about communion. The
1: A's haven't. I'm really glad I read Communion.
0: You know what? Me too. Yeah? And and it was exactly what I needed, this assignment to get oh it good. done within a week. <laughs> okay. There's a list of books like sorely missing titles from my reading adventures and Mm -hmm. and I kept thinking as I was reading it what if I had read this when I was like really into aliens in the mid 90s Mm. because I was aware of this book as I've talked about definitely aware as I think many of our listeners are of this cover image that so many think of as haunting I was thinking how differently it would have impacted young Ross Mm. It it would have affected me and my views on aliens, I think, for a long time because it adds a lot of details on top of the type of thing you get from the X-Files.
1: Do we know where the image on the front is from?
0: Yes. And there's a fun passage in here where he talks about sitting down with the artist and reading to him kind of like a sketch artist. Here's what I'm seeing. We should definitely return to that because we'll want to establish a few themes first. But the character that you see with the big black almond shaped eyes of this classic gray alien is a specific character that he gives a specific gender to Uh that appears in his head and sticks with him.
1: I think we can say the gender now. All right. She's a girl. Yeah. Yeah, so he refers to her as she all the time, and she has a voice, and yeah, she's a whole, so whole character. W- when
0: you see that alien on the front of communion, know that you're looking at a, a lady alien. And uh, there's a subtitle to this book.
1: A true story. Okay. I, I do believe that the author of this book believes that. Yeah. 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 I, I completely I, do.
0: I feel like that was usually one of my first conversation items when people would see me reading it and want to talk about it. I'd say, oh, yeah, I, I think... He's fully convinced of all of this. I don't mm-hmm. think this is a cynical ploy. He was already a fiction author. He even wrote like a horror book beforehand. And people thought, accused him of having just kind of done this as a ploy to get a lot of money and attention. Right. Because so- you've
1: got like your all-around Hubbards. Yeah. People who do make that switch from science fiction to mm-hmm. Mystical claims.
0: This kind of yeah, cynical money grab, mm-hmm. and yeah, there are people like Hubbard who fit that template. I wouldn't put Whitley Strieber in that category. Not at all. One thing that's just fascinating on the outset is we'll talk about the timeline here as 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 clearly as we can distinguish it. But these were events happening in 1985, early 1986. And this book was published in late 1987.
1: He got it out.
0: And then there's a movie called Communion mm-hmm. based on this exact story.
1: With Christopher, Christopher Walken.
0: Walken. <coughs> wow, what a what a what a person to put in your film. Hey, oh, Hey. I'm Whitley Streeber. <laughs> I've been seeing things. Yeah,
1: he doesn't try to not do his voice.
0: <laughs> Just completely being quirky, Christopher Walken, yeah. wearing a really weird hat. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but it's so perfect in some way. Well, we'll get there. Yeah, we're going to get there. We'll get, get there.
0: But that came out in 1989. Wow. So just the pacing of this astounded me. Like all of this happened really fast. And I could see Mm -hmm. how that would lead someone from the outside just to say like, you've just found a way to uh like kind of quickly turn this into a big phenomenon.
1: And he was writing movie scripts and stuff before that. He was a Mm well-positioned writer.
0: And he wrote the screenplay for the film Mm -hmm. and was a producer. So, Mm -hmm. oh, and this is apropos of nothing, but I checked the book out from the library. Mm -hmm. Just kind of a bummer because you can't write all over it. Right. Though someone else had been writing. Writing their notes, and it's always fun to see other people's reactions to a book. Oh, interesting! But when I looked it up in the good old Dewey Decimal System, yeah, it was cataloged as 001.942. Mm. So, like at the very beginning of all nonfiction, mm. I was just kind of curious, like, what is the category for this?
1: Yeah, what's 001?
0: Zero, because zero, sure enough, there's a lot of books on the shelf that are about mm, either aliens, reality
1: checks, secrets of the fields, unsolved. Mysteries. Yeah. Okay. And
0: actually, I think Reality Check is written by our buddy Don Prothero.
1: Okay. Oh, yeah. So Tales of the Unknown. Uh, unsolved Mysteries,
0: Roswell. Yeah. These are the kind of titles. And I was like, why is this at the very beginning of the Dewey Decimal System? So apparently, the 001 category is knowledge. And, and the site <laughs> that I looked it up on has a little picture of an owl.
1: Knowledge. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh, I thought, I don't know. That was just kind of fun. Perfect. Kind of fun.
1: Yeah, because uh, owls play a big role in UFO lore and in this book in particular, because Whitley saw maybe an owl during his experience.
0: But also, just got to say, there's so many people respond to this cover in the cover image. Uh, I still felt conscious reading it out in public because I knew people mm. would react to the cover, and they still do mm. nearly 40 years later.
1: Oh, huh? No one has reacted to my cover. Like
0: yesterday, I was working at the election and still reading this, and I would kind of keep it angled down, and one person came. Came by and said, Oh, what are you reading? So I flipped over the cover and started telling them, and they kind of recoiled.
1: Whoa. And went,
0: Oh, oh my goodness. Okay. Wow. Good book, huh? All right. <laughs>
1: Maybe I'm just too acclimated to it. I don't get a start from it, but maybe, I'm, maybe I've am Maybe i seen it one million times and that's it.
0: This uh, pallid, yellowish gray alien with the big black eyes. Yeah. And the little vertical slits for a very slight nose and uh, almost kind of a Mona Lisa smile. Yeah. Slightly upturned lips.
1: Kind of pursed, those kind of duck lips.
0: Yeah. Uh, anyways, what happens in this book?
1: Okay. So Whitley Strieber...
0: He gives us on the first page as you open up, it says, When you read this incredible story, do not be too skeptical. Somewhere in your own past, there may be some lost hour or strange recollection that means you also have had this experience. This book is about forming a new relationship with the unknown. Instead of shunning the darkness, we can face straight into it with an open mind. When we do that, the unknown changes. Fearful things become understandable, and a truth is suggested. The enigmatic presence of the human mind winks back from the dark.
1: Yeah, so even though he doesn't talk about this very much, though he references it, a lot of this just relies on this notion of memory that's incorrect.
0: Yeah, he, he name drops Freud, Freud multiple times in the yeah. book talks about
1: screen memories. Mm -hmm. This old idea that our worst memories just live in our subconscious and get buried and our mind tries to repress them to protect us. And then if you get safe enough, those memories come leaping forward.
0: Is that how that works?
1: That's not how that works. That's not how that works. This is... very solidly disproven.
0: Another reason I wish I had read it earlier is that I think when we were talking to Mike Clellan I would have realized just how strong the connection was b- between their takes on alien visitation. It just seems like they're kind of working from very similar starting points. Oh, with, yeah. With the screen memories with the owls. Oh, 100%. And Mike Clellan has really dove-dived. Dovin, I didn't set the sentence up well, he's entirely-
1: 7.45 a.m., people.
0: He's really uh, (laughs) locked in on that particular piece of the puzzle, the whole owl thing, Uh, but fully consistent with Whitley, who also goes on to talk about praying mantises and and other things.
1: And Whitley has a podcast called Dreamlands. I think he has a few podcasts, actually, but Dreamlands is a big one. And a website, Unknown Country. And on there, he full-on recommends Mike Lillen's stuff and talks to him. They're in cahoots. Hoots! Hoots. (laughs) There we go. All
0: right. Hey, I'm waking up. I'm waking up.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so there are... Lots of events, details in this book, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and all given the same amount of very finite scrutiny as if they are all equally important. But if one zooms out the way Willie Streeper cannot,
2: Mm -hmm. one
1: notices that there are really only a couple that (sighs) have... Like, happened in real life. Yeah. A couple that weren't that that don't seem like uh, <laughs> hypnotically induced or mm, a dream state mm-hmm. or
0: uh, yeah anything like that. The struggle to put that into words, I think, is apt because it is so nebulous in the book. But yeah. yeah, you have these kind of two inciting incidents. There's sort of a minor event that happens at his cabin, and then there's a later one that's more like just on the nose. And feels like a real big abduction that he remembers afterward. And that sends him back to all of this hypnotic regression, recovery, yeah. where he gets more details about both of those events. And then there's a later one that happens. And then he starts getting earlier ones. And then everything just starts expanding and flowering uh, and growing and getting more and more confusing.
1: And Ross, the truth happens in order. But <laughs> this chronology is all over the ding-ding place. You'd think that as a writer, you'd pick one of two pathways. Mm-hmm. You'd either be like, I'm claiming that this happened in 1952. I'm putting it before 1987. Right. Or you say, I'm going to write this in the... Order in which I became aware of these events.
0: That's almost what he's doing.
1: Almost what he does, but still no, yes. still no. So the first <sighs> it's actual. It's confusing. This is a yeah.
0: confusing book.
1: Yeah. So what what really pops out to me as the truly inciting incident? Okay. Is October 4th, 1985.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: Okay, so he tells this story totally out of order, but I've tried to put it back in order. Okay. So he had already been having paranoia for a while when this happens.
0: Yeah, because this inciting event happens, as it does in the film. The film is... I would say.
1: Pretty accurate. Yeah.
0: Uh, <laughs> Pretty. <laughs> Faithful.
1: Yeah. Faithful. Sure. Yeah.
0: <laughs> That's a good way of saying it.
1: Faithful to his own book.
0: That he and his wife and their their young son have this apartment in New York, but they've bought a house out in the sticks. Yeah. It's a, a fair cabin. drive away, but it's like upstate New York. And all he tells us is it's not only like off the beaten path. It's an off the beaten path off of another you know service road or something. It's hard to access. There's a small community of people. But he's investing, to your point, in all of these security, not cameras, I wish he had gotten freaking cameras, Mm -hmm. but he's got all these lights that turn on these motion sensor lights. And instantly I'm thinking, okay, what's going on, Whitley, that you're so paranoid already about intruders?
1: Yeah, and this comes up a bunch. Like... And I mean, sometimes he uses the word paranoid, but yeah, I mean, he's got all these concerns about people following him. This thread continues throughout the book. There will just be moments where you're like, you don't need to be suspicious of this person, but he is.
0: And he, yeah, and he seems to at least be semi-aware of that.
1: Yeah, that's true. Um, Okay, so on October 4th, 1985, Whitley, Anne, and their son, Andrew... Uh, another Andrew for that's so confusing you've
0: got an Andrew I've got an Andrew
1: (laughs) now Whitley's got one so they drive up to their cabin uh, in the company of two close friends Jacques Sandulescu and Annie Gottlieb
0: yeah and that's not confusing at all because his wife is Anne is Anne and like the one other major female character aside from the alien is Annie Annie.
1: (laughs) yeah so there's Anne and Annie try to keep them straight Annie's the guest and Jacques and Whitley yes
0: and Andrew yes heading for the country
1: so the Striebers are and Andrew and Whitley. So they all have dinner at a local restaurant. They get to the cabin at 9 p.m. They had not drunk more than one glass of wine and a drink each at the restaurant. So they're tipsy, but they're not schnockered.
0: And I get it. It makes sense for this, but he does regularly remind us that he is not a user of substances generally. Mm. So he lets us know how, how moderate he is with his alcohol intake. We had very little.
1: Now from this point forward and for a second, Uh, We're just going to be hearing Whitley's experience. No Mm -hmm. one else uh, witnessed this. So sometime well after midnight, Whitley woke up to a blue light on the ceiling that scared him because it wasn't possible for there to be any light there. Mm -hmm. He says the light could not have been a flashlight because it was so uniform and so broad and so distinctly blue. And then as the light crept up the ceiling, he decided that the chimney must be on fire and dropping sparks into the front yard. He knows he must do something, but he immediately falls into a deep sleep. Interesting. Uh, So then if we jump to Jacques' experience, he says, I was sleeping and all of a sudden something woke me up. The room was full of light, bright like daylight, not like the moon. I thought we overslept. I look at my watch. It says 430. Then I hear you, Whitley, through the door saying, It's okay. The light is gone. So I go back to sleep. Okay. Okay. We
0: got some corroboration from another person.
1: There was light. Okay, then we have Annie's experience, mm-hmm. uh, so the, the guest. Uh, she says, it was a bang. Then I heard the scurry of little feet running across your bedroom upstairs. Uh, Whitley replies, Annie, the cats were in the city.
2: Mm. So couldn't have
1: been couldn't have been kitties. Annie goes on that she only vaguely remembers the light, but mostly remembers noises. And Whitley coming downstairs to tell everybody not to worry.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then Anne basically has almost no relevant recollection of this night.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: before hypnosis, she said she had a vague memory of Whitley warning her of fire on that night mm-hmm. and of hearing an explosion and her son calling out to me. Okay. Which actually sounds like a very active night. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why she characterized that as like not that active a night, but.
0: Yeah. We usually have loud noises and my son crying. <laughs> then
1: there was an explosion. And my I don't know. A normal night with Whitley. A fire. <laughs> it does sound like Whitley gets up out of bed and checks for intruders basically all the time.
0: So. Yeah. That, that's something where we get a very different report from him and his wife about how often he gets up from bed. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, that's very rare that I get out of bed. Mm-hmm. She's like, he's out of bed all the time.
1: <laughs> this far. I can never go to sleep. <laughs> so then back to Whitley's experience. Whitley is reawoken by a sound like a firecracker popping in his face. Come. The entire house is surrounded by a glow, which then suddenly disappears when Whitley gets up to do something about the fire and encounters Jacques in the hall. Okay. So now back to Jacques and Whitley together. They're very startled by this encounter. Whitley reassures Jacques that nothing's wrong. The next morning, little is said about the incident, and Whitley doesn't remember any confusion about the fire. Okay. Uh, later that week, Whitley feels agitated but doesn't know why. He has a persistent memory of light flashing in his eyes that night, and he vaguely recalls an explosion. And then the next weekend, he has a clear and dramatic memory of a huge crystal standing on end above the house, a glorious thing, hundreds of feet tall.
0: Yeah, sure. Normal.
1: Glowing with unearthly blue light. He hundreds says, of
0: feet tall, giant glowing crystal. Sure. Okay. Yes. Yes. By the way, yeah, just now, by the way, remember a few days ago? I know there was a loud noise and stuff, uh, but there was this crystal as big as a mountain.
1: I think this is the first time we get a hint of what's going on for Anne. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I told Anne about it, and as I was talking, I experienced a hollow sort of feeling I knew that she didn't believe me. Of course she didn't. And I didn't believe myself.
0: Oh, this will come up beautifully later in her hypnosis.
1: Yes. And then this line Wasn't there some problem with the stove? She asked. I was embarrassed and never mentioned the crystal again. <laughs> I put it out of my mind permanently. Okay. As a person, though, who has had carbon monoxide poisoning, I see oh. the stove and I go, check the stove. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah this is 40 years she ago. She was now, not
0: so. subject to his crystal persuasion.
1: <laughs> and then, okay, last part of this story Whitley asks Andrew, his son, about his dreams. Mm-hmm. And he shares that he has had a nightmare about little doctors who took him out on a porch and put him on a cot.
0: Wow. Okay.
1: To Whitley's verification that something happens, they they had some visitors, and that's Uh, what he'll go on to call. Uh, the aliens who he is convinced actually began their the abduction visitors, experience, right. yeah. experiences.
0: He, I'm sure, uses the word aliens in the book, but very little. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really yeah. about the visitors. I think he wants mm-hmm. to normalize that phrase. Make it happen. Not unlike Fetch.
1: <laughs> I think it might be Anne's influence, too, because we learn near the end of the book that she gave him the title. He wanted to call the book Body Horror.
0: It's not Anne. She's asleep at that moment.
1: Oh the, oh I thought it was Anne
0: no he's talking he's talking to Anne and he thinks uh-huh. it's her for a moment but it turns out it's the alien speaking directly into his mind he wanted to call the oh. book body, yeah. body, body terror
1: Oh body terror yeah okay and also sh- shocking and disgusting I mean I have to say though, Probably more accurate.
0: He describes the scene. He's in bed with Anne, and he's ready to call the book Body Terror. But the baso profundo voice, yes. this is how he describes the voice of his alien female companion. The book must not frighten people. Oh, wait. I guess I should speak like her. <clears throat> the book must not frighten people. You should call it communion, because that's what it's about.
1: Yeah, I, I still so not okay, only you does don't she, think that it's Anne.
0: No, I mean, it's either the alien talking through him, but he said she was asleep. Yeah. Like he looked over and like, oh, you're not talking to me. Oh, it's the voice from the alien.
1: I Yeah, I still just took that to mean like, She said it, and then he was like, I know that voice. Oh, my God. She's somehow connected to the alien.
0: We've only got Whitley's recall on this. Yeah, who knows? But But, according to him, not only is this character on the front of the book that haunts everybody's dreams, not only is this the female alien companion that he doesn't mind touching him, that's another story we'll get to, but she also is responsible for the name of the book.
1: Okay. She
0: just is taken over.
1: And my case is that that alien is connected to Anne (laughs) in Whitley's mind. Sure. And Anne's at it somehow i who knows okay yeah in some way like he gets the message that he's supposed to call it communion and that's so interesting because his terror is so evident throughout this book like he is scared of these beings mm-hmm. he is not having a good time he wishes this weren't happening so then to have it be called communion feels Strange.
0: He does have a few notes where he talks about how he's kind of come full circle, that he's learned to live with this and see the benefits, the positive aspects of it. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's what he wanted to do with the book. He didn't want it to be on the whole a frightening book. Yeah. And communion is a great title because coming out in the eighties, I think even now we all associate that with a religious ritual, Mm -hmm. one of the, the sacraments. And you see this alien thing, and it's tying it to religion with this title communion, and it's invoking all these other images. I, I think it's a great title. So she, yeah. she was right. Yeah. She be Anne, or <laughs> we never get a name for the the female visitor. But
1: yeah, why does he give her a name or ask her her name? Probably
0: like the queen, because we'll unpack this more, but he thinks of these aliens as kind of like a, a hive mind. That's sort of his working theory that they're sort of insect like and so i'm just gonna call her the queen from now on because i feel like she's maybe sort of a thought leader that drives these other aliens perhaps that are drones anyways okay so yes that was the inciting incident october 4th i enjoyed the constant references to october 4th that's my anniversary
1: oh i didn't know that yeah
0: it just felt kind of fun
1: that's cool Oh whoa! Well, wait, so you were born on a Raelian high holiday, and mm-hmm. you got married on a
0: Whitley Streber holiday, an alien
1: abduction a yeah. holiday.
0: Coincidence? Ooh. Yes.
1: Yeah, probably. Okay, so the next event was December of that year, December twenty sixth, nineteen eighty
0: five. Nineteen eighty five. Which is a back to the future year.
1: That's true. So
0: whenever people are talking about December 26th, 1985, I'm thinking of Doc Brown saying it. <laughs> All right. What happened?
1: Okay. So since the fall, Whitley had been increasingly paranoid. He, uh, On this particular night, it was a cold and cloudy night and- he First, he hears a peculiar whooshing swirling noise coming from the living room downstairs. It
0: was the night after Christmas and all through the house, a whooshing swirling noise was coming from downstairs.
1: This was no random creak, no settling of the house, but a sound as if a large number of people were moving rapidly around the room.
0: I'm sorry, this needs to rhyme? <laughs>
1: Sorry, uh, rapidly around the room. Like a mouse. Which gave him a feeling of gloom. Okay, (laughs)
0: thank you. Uh (laughs) (laughs) Okay, you can dispense.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so then... We get sort of a teleportation event that only Whitley is present for.
0: Yeah, and this time they don't have the visitors, so it's just the core family.
1: Well, they don't have the human visitors.
0: <laughs> oh, touche. Oh, boy, boy, yeah, did I miss that. They don't yeah. have
1: Jacques and Annie there. You're right. That's Annie. a
0: loaded word I'm just throwing around that they don't have visitors. <laughs> touche.
1: So Whitley suddenly appears in what he calls a depression in the woods. Um, oh, yeah. He's still paralyzed. There's no snow on the ground in this dream world. And he's
0: naked now, right?
1: Oh, is he? I missed him. He, He
0: ends up naked a lot.
1: Okay. (laughs) There's someone to the left out of the corner of his eye. Then he teleports to a round room.
0: This corner of the eye thing is important, but we'll talk about that later.
1: Yes, agree. And I just want to say, I'm using the word teleport just because it's Mm -hmm. clear, but he doesn't. There's a tiny squat person who's about to perform surgery on him, but Whitley starts screaming. So that person asks, what can we do to help you stop screaming? (laughs) And he replies, you could let me smell you. <laughs> so uh, I've met this guy. So she <laughs> so she lets her smell him. And as he's taking in her scent, they perform the operation on his head. He doesn't realize that until it's over. And next, he is anally probed with an enormous and extremely ugly object, mm-hmm. which swarms into him.
0: Yeah. Some giant uh, gray metallic thing that they... He's trying to, like, be... T- tasteful and discreet as he describes these things. So oftentimes you'll reread this passage and be like, oh, they put the thing up his butt. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly.
0: But he won't say it that clearly.
1: Yeah. And you can tell also that he has shame around this. You know, he says like, he actually says it feels like I was raped, you know, like, so Mm -hmm. yeah, it's clearly making him uncomfortable to even recall this. So about that odor that he smelled when she let him smell her, he said the odor was distinct. It gave me exactly what I needed, an anchor in reality. It remained the most convincing aspect of the whole memory because that odor was completely indistinguishable from a real one. The alien had the slight scent of cardboard to it, faint but distinctly organic sourness, and a little like cinnamon.
0: Yep, Those were the flavor notes he kept hitting on in subsequent experiences. Wet cardboard and a hint of cinnamon. Yeah. Interesting.
1: Such a weird profile. But
0: clearly smell data is very anchoring for Whitley.
1: Yes. So he awakes the next morning very much as usual, but grappling with a distinct sense of unease and a very improbable but intense memory of seeing a barn owl (gasps) staring at me through the window sometime during the night. This marks the beginning of a personality shift that Anne notes to him. Mm. They both see this as the worsening of an existing pattern and things get worse from there. He says I became mercurial, frantic with excitement about some idea one moment, in despair the next. I was suspicious of friends and family, often openly hostile. Um, Yeah. So he's
0: recognizing his own behavior changes.
1: Yep. But uh, much later when Anne is asked about this night she has like no memory of it. This doesn't stand out to her at all.
0: Okay. Yeah. And what what you were presenting there was kind of like the first version we get, but then he's going to keep revisiting these stories and adding more details through hypnosis, yes, through recollection, through dreams, where he kind of like takes the uh, visions he sees from dreams and adds them to the reality of the yeah. real world, and yeah. it it gets so murky. Yeah, in this book, just constantly, you're kind of like flipping back, like, wait, wait, where are we now? Yeah, wait, where did you? Okay, so you're outside, but I thought you were in a parking lot oh, okay, wait, you're in a room now? Where? How did we get in this room? And it's just so fleeting and evanescent and unclear.
1: And it seems like that's how a lot of Whitley's life is. Like, when this is happening, he's in his early 40s, I believe. Mm-hmm. So he's almost 80 now. So, like, his memory problems now, if they started today, we would expect they were just dementia. But he's talking about memory problems in 1987 mm-hmm. that are, like, they sound serious. Like, he's like, I just suddenly arrive in completely different environments and don't remember how I got there you know stuff like that
0: yeah and this comes much later when he sort of expands the gamut like Carrie was saying you have these core events that happen but then he just keeps adding more stories and revealing bits of his college travels or what have you this reminds me of one time when he's talking about traveling around Europe and he says he has like weeks where he had a place rented in London and then he told them that he would be gone for a couple weeks. But then he ended up being gone for months and he like had a companion. This is before Anne, but he like abandoned the companion and then just like showed up the next day in this, you know, now he's in Spain. Now he's in Germany. Now he's over here. He moves
1: so much. And he'll say like, I was, I was overwhelmed with the feeling of needing to move or I had to get out of London immediately. I needed to get out of San Antonio immediately.
0: And constantly he's just wondering, wait, how did I get here? And where's my stuff? And he says, let me get the wording here. If such incidents were a frequent occurrence in my life, I might suspect some sort of trance or fugue state. He misspelled fugue. Interesting. That is a hard word to spell. There are certainly many odd incidents, but they are too variable in their nature to suggest Mm -hmm. the symptomatic consistency of disease. Yeah. And this is a constant refrain where Whitley will consider the explanation or the hint of a solution that most people might kind of look into next. He'll consider it. He'll put it up on the docket, he'll dismiss it for whatever mm-hmm. reason, and then we're off to the next topic.
1: And without much awareness that he hasn't given a compelling dismissal. Right. So me, the reader, I'm still like, oh, wait, hang on. Actually, the concession you tried to make has stolen my attention now yeah, because I, that actually makes more sense. I think this
0: requires a little more attention. <laughs> yeah. We might have a solution here. Yeah. Yeah, that story in particular really said a lot. We also mentioned the alien in the corner of his vision. Mm-hmm. This is kind Constant, Like, we talked last episode about his talk where he knew that a video that he saw of an alien interview was correct because Mm -hmm. there was a green bouncing light. Mm -hmm. And then he describes how he had seen that green bouncing light while he was writing Communion, which, by the way, he did not mention once in this book. But he described (laughs) then (laughs) that... He would see this green bouncing light in the corner of his eye, his vision, his peripheral vision. And then when he would go to examine it with his fovea, it would go away. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then he couldn't get it again. But then if he looks away, oh, there it is. And constantly in the book, he's describing phenomena like creatures that he would see in his apartment that would just be lurking in the corner of his eye and then instantly disappear. Yeah. Okay. We've got... Bad peripheral vision, floaters in the eye. Yeah,
1: vision problems. Uh, yeah, vision Some issues. kind of vision problems. Yeah, vision issues Yeah, uh,
0: that involve his peripheral vision. Mm-hmm. And it was just interesting how many times he kind of copped to that without seeing that connection.
1: Yeah, and and one time he says something about like having myopia. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just like offhandedly. There are a couple moments in this book where he just <laughs> offhandedly drops a detail and you're like, wait, uh, it Hello! You,
0: you commented Central! On one last night.
1: Yeah, it's maybe the most central detail of the book. <laughs> so, Oh my God. Okay. Here we go, you now, guys. Now
0: we're off the beaten trail Doesn't because matter. we're going to be jumping around. We're
1: doing so much more ordering than he ever did.
0: But they, they have at the cabin, they have this young girl coming to visit who's, I guess, a friend of the family or friends with the son, but she's staying. Yeah,
1: a o- friend of the son.
0: She's staying over with them and Whitley's secretly asking the aliens for some thing to happen that night so that she, this young girl, and she's probably what, like eight or something, mm-hmm. can corroborate his stories. And I'm thinking, from what you're describing of the nature of these events, if you believe this is true, this is horrible malpractice <laughs> to bring this young girl over, this friend of, of, of the family.
1: Maybe she will be abducted. Yeah.
0: Maybe she'll have horrible <laughs> things done to her and then she can make me look less crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Goodness. Yeah. Well, But it's a
1: communion.
0: (laughs) Right. And apparently it is a theme in the book that they seem to be nicer to children. Good. But given some of his backstories when he's 12, maybe not. Anyways, the girl does come over and she has one observation. She sees something outside the window. Yes. And nobody else sees it. But while they're having dinner, she's like, oh, I just saw like a a tiny plane with flashing lights.
1: And- Whitley. Yeah, Whitley. Responds. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Getting my book. There's an air base near here. The National (laughs) Guard base is 30 (laughs) miles away. Oh,
0: relevant detail that we only hear once?
1: (laughs) We don't let those things bother us. Best to just forget about it. (laughs) Page 170.
0: That's when we find out. That but he
1: lives 30 miles from a military base. Uh-huh.
0: And then because she says that, she doesn't have any kind of narrative later about visitors or anything like that. But because she said that one thing, he keeps referring to her as another independent voice yes. that has backed up his whole synthesis.
1: Right. And he'll do Putting this- her in a great position.
0: Right. And he does that regularly too, where he'll, again, sort of raise the possibility of- particular brain states or maybe something about his physiology and he'll say, well, but we also have corroborating evidence from Anne and my son and the visitor Jacques and Annie. So do they have the same brain states? Well, they're not describing anything like the stuff you did. You found like one or two corroborating pieces of info that fit within the overall story. uh, But that
1: feel confirmatory to him so he doesn't notice everything that's missing around it.
0: Right. like uh,
1: Context blindness. Such bad context blindness. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I I guess he doesn't realize that to us, Mm -hmm. we're going to be like, whoa, 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 you skipped a few steps there. Yeah. You can read the Iliad or the Odyssey and you can understand that Lesbos is a real island but that there are no cyclops mm-hmm. you know, living out in the Mediterranean. Mm-hmm. You can have fake events set in a real location, and you can have certain pieces of an event, like a loud noise and a bright light that other people agree on, That doesn't mean we get to lump in all of this other detail about the alien. Yeah, in
1: court, it would be circumstantial evidence. It's just surrounding detail that doesn't disconfirm, but it doesn't confirm any of the central things you're trying to prove. And
0: this feels a little connected to like the Mike Clellan experience as well, where we get so excited about a connection and then in our mad dash forget the missing pieces. And then if enough
1: people agree with you, it becomes the 30,000 Navy SEALs can't be wrong effect. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Or fifty I, Frenchmen.
1: Yeah, or whatever.
0: That's weird. Speaking of an owl at the window, I see one over by your window. Maybe we should let him what? in.
1: Whoa! Hello.
0: Oh, he's got he's got a message. Hello. Well, what is the message, Owl?
1: Oh, here we go. Uh, well, I have to go on to the next guy, but here's a note.
0: Oh, okay. Here oh, you are. Oh, it's a jumbo. Dro- thank you. Oh, bye.
1: No problem. Bye. I'm gonna go poop.
0: At- I was already yelling at the owl as if it had flown far away, but yes, <laughs> uh, thank you, Mister Owl. Thank you, Mister Owl.
1: Okay, now I'll get up and go. What does this note say?
0: <laughs> oh yeah, it's uh, for Sam Krieger.
1: Oh Sam,
0: from Nathaniel Krieger.
1: Okay, okay. Let's see. This says, "Happiest of birthdays and thank you for getting me into this podcast."
0: Ah, oh, there is no one else in the world I can yell ow, 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 owl 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 at aside from you.
1: You're a wonderful sibling and an excellent friend. And don't worry, I also got you a book.
0: Is it communion? (laughs) Love, your best and only brother. (laughs) I love that. That's great. And boy, couldn't have timed it for a better episode to talk about owls. Yeah. Amazing. And while you're at it, listen to this Maximum Fun Show.
1: I'm Emily Fleming And I'm Jordan Morris We're real comedy writers (laughs) And real
0: friends And real fucking cheapskates We say, why subscribe to expensive streaming services When you can stream tons of insane movies online for free As
1: long as you're fine with 25 randomly inserted super loud car insurance commercials On our new podcast, Free With Ads We review streaming movies from the darkest corner of the internet's bargain bin
0: From the good to the weird To the holy shit Look at Jean-Claude Van Damme's Big old butt Free with ads A free podcast About free movies That's worth the price Of admission
1: Every Tuesday On MaximumFun.org Or your favorite pod spot So on page 171 By the way He also says Something that I was like Oh okay Okay Um, He said A child like I was Brought up in the 50s Would have known about Flying saucers They were big news In those days Yeah Okay Yep
2: Mm -hmm. Okay,
1: because um, you're always trying to make the case that you never even thought about UFOs, and how could this Mm -hmm. have just popped into your head? But (laughs) elsewhere, he says I had only read two books on UFOs. I'm like,
0: two books? He's like, I think I remember hearing a story about like I don't know this Hill couple. (laughs) He knew about Betty and Barney Hill, the first abductees. This is relevant. Yeah, dude. And he's just throwing this aside. Also, he mentions Skeptical Inquirer a couple times throughout the book. Yeah,
1: a magazine I've written for. Yeah,
0: and we know many people from, including the editor. And
1: He doesn't like it. Well, well, he doesn't like the article he's talking about.
0: Yeah, th- that one article. But early on, he does say, like, I was a subscriber. I was into this. Oh, that's right. That's and, right. And he said, originally, that was kind of my crowd. Mm. And this alien, I, I'm going to keep saying alien, but again, mm. this visitor thing Experience. was sort of forced on me. Yeah. Uh, but otherwise, I would have been with all y'all. And yeah. And now I feel a little guilty that I laughed at people. Mm. I bet. But he does. But also to the point of what you're saying about him trying to act like he's sort of a more of a blank slate than he actually is, he does that with his son as well, where he kept saying, and my son knew nothing about any of this. Yes. And I thinking, no, you're having conversations with that, yes. about his dreams and asking him, yes. oh, so, and what did they say to you? And, well, that's interesting. Oh, I had, and he gives his kind of like cleaned up version of what happened to him. It was like- your son is aware.
1: Yeah, your son's taking in all the inputs of the conversations around him. Yeah. I mean, there are even times where he kind of lets slip that he said something. He he has enough self-awareness to sometimes note when he does that. Say, mm-hmm. oh, I realized after that that I, that was kind of a leading question, but mm-hmm. I'm still taking meaning out of the answer.
0: Yeah. And that's another thing about Willy Streber in this book is that he is a good writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And every now and then, just like when he's speaking, as we've encountered, he'll go into these... Dramatic, deeply philosophical passages mm-hmm. where you go like, "Oh, that's really well put. Yeah, I like that." Mm-hmm. For example, here's some that we really like. The
1: easy route would be to dismiss this material as entirely psychological. That would also be a mistake, at least until the physical effects are explained completely in detail and satisfactorily. A terrifying thing happened to me. Perhaps it involved visitors from somewhere, maybe even from inside the human unconscious. For me, though, the most important thing about it was its essentially human effect. I was a human being, and my part of things involved having a human experience. Even if there was a visitor, it seemed clear that concentration on the human part of the encounter was the key to understanding what meaning it may have for me, and the visitor was no more than wind in the eaves or moonlighting the fog then it was a key to what I mean to myself.
0: Even the issue of where science stands in relation to this material has been with us forever. The first debunker was probably the Bishop Edelbard of Lyons, who, in the time of Charlemagne, saved from an enraged crowd three men and a woman who had been seen climbing down from an airship by half the citizens of the town. They claimed to have been taken for a period of days, The bishop saved them by announcing to the crowd that the whole thing was obviously impossible and that people had not seen what they thought they had seen, nor had the poor victims been in any airship, because there were no airships. Thus, the first debunker had the distinction of saving the lives of the first abductees.
1: Another thought was that the visitors might really be our own dead, or perhaps something very real had emerged from our own unconscious mind taking actual physical form and coming forth to haunt us. Or maybe we were receiving a visit from another dimension, human time travelers who assumed the disguise of extraterrestrial visitors. I had been assuming that any visitors would be vastly more intelligent than us. What if that was only part of the truth? In terms of earthly evolution, man emerged only very recently. Maybe that also means that man is not the lesser creature, but the more advanced one. If this was so, then older, less quick thinking and flexible forms might view us as quite a danger to them. They might even want to imprison us here in our earth or do worse than imprison us. And yet, I I did not have the feeling that they were hostile so much as Stern? They were also at least somewhat frightened of me. I was certain of that.
0: This matter is a garden of luminous weed through which only a fool would dash yelling any doctrine at all, whether it be that of the creationist and debunker or that of the UFO true believer. Even to approach the idea of the visitors, it is necessary to study a whole history of tall stories, bizarre tales, and, just possibly, truths. It is our American habit to assume that there is something irrelevant, even a little silly, about the past. Our relationship to former times is expressed as nostalgia, not history. When our government first started studying flying saucers in the late 40s, it never even occurred to anybody official to consider having a look at the past.
1: I remembered my protest to her. When she reassured me about the operation not hurting me, The sense of helplessness was an awful thing to contemplate. "'You have no right,' I said. "'We do have a right.' Five enormous words. Stunning words. We do have a right? Who gave it to them? By what progress of ethics had they arrived at that conclusion— I wondered if it required debate or seemed so obvious to them that they never questioned it. Maybe their right came from a different direction than one might think if they were a part of us. It might be that we granted them the right they assert. Listening to the crackle of the fire mingle with the ticking of the clock, I thought that perhaps I might welcome voices of instruction. I began to feel strongly that the present world situation was unsustainable. Of course, we ourselves barely question our rights over the other species on Earth. How odd it was to find oneself suddenly under the very power that one so easily assumes over the animals. I thought of some lowing cows, their bells tinkling on a long-ago Texas evening, or of my cat asleep on my lap back in the city, trusting its little self utterly to an affection that to me was casual, but to Sadie was the center of the universe. I remembered when my father took me to a slaughterhouse in Fort Worth and I heard the rumble of panic and saw the bucking backs of the steers and the creamy whites of their eyes. I smelled the slick of manure and urine and blood and heard the steady crunching of the blows and the blare of the saws. And at a research institute in San Antonio, I saw monkey cages with rows of doctored capuchins shaved, their pink heads sewn or laid delicately open and the trembling brain probes, and the gabble of noise when the vocalization center of one of them was stimulated for the information of graduate students. What did the monkey, with the needle in its brain, think of its observers? Were they gods to whom it submitted itself with a noble passivity because it could do nothing else? I saw monkey carcasses in the dumpster, too. Try as I might, I simply did not have the feeling that the visitors were applying the same cold ethic to their relationship with us that we did to ours with the animals. There was something of that in it, though, very definitely. I had been captured like a wild animal on December 26th, rendered helpless and dragged out of my den into the night. Nor did I feel that they were simply studying me. Not at all. They had changed me done something to me. I could sense it clearly that night, but I could not articulate it. Later, I thought to myself that they were taming me.
0: Bud Hopkins has developed great sensitivity to the problems people face after they encounter the visitors. He has dealt with more than a hundred cases and knows the pattern of response. When he suggested that I meet the loose support group of others in the New York area, I was at first relieved. Then I became uneasy. Don't worry, he said. Everybody half-believes that they're dreaming all this up, and that's the healthiest way. Nobody is going to show you an extraterrestrial belt buckle and blow your mind. Still, I was not eager to meet the other abductees. Just a few days before, I had interviewed a person who believed that he had been contacted by people who, gosh, just looked like the most beautiful gods and goddesses you ever saw who explained to him that the world was soon going to end and that the Chosen would be taken to live on a moon of Jupiter. I hope it isn't EO.
1: So there's a third incident that happens that's much briefer. That's in 1986. It's on January 3rd. So this is all happening in winter of 1985, 1986. Mm -hmm. So this all begins.
0: October, December, and now early the next year.
1: Exactly. So uh, Whitley and Anne are skiing. I'm not sure exactly what makes them stop and her come up and say this, but she comes up and looks at his ear and says she sees a tiny pinpoint of a scab behind his ear, Mm -hmm. and that confuses him, but it jogs a bunch of memories. And then later, he reads a book called Science and the UFOs, and he reads a standard abduction experience so similar to his own Depression in the Woods experience that he cannot bear the similarity. He slams the book shut, admits to himself that he believes he's been abducted by aliens, and promises himself he must never tell anyone, not even Anne. And the Mm. reason the scab becomes important is that he comes to believe that that's a place that the visitors implanted something.
0: And as he revisits these key events by hypnosis, Mm -hmm. he adds additional details to them like the instruments that they're working on him with. They seem to really like triangles. Triangles come up a lot in this book, but they'll have like these little wands, essentially, that they're holding. They'll be bright and shining or silvery, and they'll perform some kind of surgery on him. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's this lunging attack where they sort of race at him and then hit him behind the ear or, or implant something in his face. But other times it's up in the ship or what have you.
1: And we should also say most of these are while he's lying in bed. Like most of these appear to be yes. d- a sleep influence. <laughs> and of
0: course, he'll even mention hypnagogic yep. and hypnopompic hallucination, yep. night terrors. Like he's aware these things exist.
1: Yeah, but he'll just give them like a sentence and be like, well, here's one way I thought around that.
0: Yeah, because how would I possibly then have this memory of this thing? Mm -hmm. So it couldn't be that. Mm -hmm. And we're off to the races again. Mm -hmm. Oh man, my, my brain's taking me in a lot of different directions right now, but let's talk about the hypnosis.
1: Okay, yeah. So he gets to hypnosis through a kind of intermediary step. So there's this guy named Bud Hopkins who mm-hmm. we've talked about before, and he was
0: big figure <gasps> in alien abduction. He, he was someone it's who was very would-
1: sloppy researcher, Bud Hopkins.
0: Yes, but he had this kind of imprimatur of respectability of clinical approach, and he would collect alien abductees, befriend them, and hear their stories. Get them together to talk to each other. His name pops up all the time in the literature because he's the one sort of moving, shaking, making connections between these contactees.
1: And wrote his own books. Mm -hmm. So the reason that Whitley, I think, even had this option in his mind is because he and Anne, his wife, were art collectors and Bud Hopkins was like a big art collector in the same world Mm. and so when he starts to suspect this alien narrative he knows exactly where to go go to Bud
2: Okay. so
1: he talks to Bud and then uh, uh, again Whitley's sort of playing both sides in his head he's like oh the critics are gonna say you're friends with Bud Hopkins so he says Bud can you recommend me to some other hypnotist Uh (laughs) thinking this is enough control somehow (laughs) can you recommend me to another hypnotist you can still come you can sit in the room oh my goodness you can ask me questions (laughs) but it just like you can't lead the thing
0: and yet again whitley will say yeah we met with this respected guy donald klein here's his bona fides we can trust this guy and he didn't ask me any leading questions and then he gives you this uh, transcript of the hypnosis session where bud hopkins all of a sudden shows up in the question asking you're like Wait, who let butt in the room? (laughs) Yeah. And there are leading questions. Definitely. Absolutely. For example, one where they're looking uh, a year earlier about this, oh my goodness, totally different event where Whitley (laughs) drives into a fog bank. He goes off the road because he's curious about the fog bank. And then Mm. two figures in blue coveralls show up and lean in through his windows. And next thing you know, he's on a ship or in a room somewhere getting Mm -hmm. things done to him. Okay. But the hypnosis interviewer, they suggest- horizontal lips, and they haven't talked about the lips or anything, lips. asking the phrase like, oh, and did they have horizontal lips? That puts in your mind like, oh, oh. there could be another option.
1: Oh, I see. Or yeah.
0: it just hadn't I come see. up yet in that transcript. And yeah. that's just the sort of example uh, of the yes. thing that wasn't even offered and were...
1: Right. Like if I said, so um, I'm thinking of a particular dog and I don't want to lead you, but the dog you saw last week, did it have four legs?
0: hmm <laughs> exactly. Oh, like, no, this was a three-legged you know, dog. No,
1: of course, it was a three-legged dog because four is the default. You wouldn't be asking this question unless... There was some exception you're pointing toward,
0: but Whitley keeps assuring us. Out of caution, we had Anne go to a different hypnotist, mm. and so you see Anne's transcript. And all of a sudden, there's Bud Hopkins in the room. <laughs> Who let Bud in? <laughs> Bud, get out.
1: Okay. Well, speaking of Anne and hypnotism, yes, eh? yeah, here yeah. is oh my gosh, let's kinda, do it. Really, kind of a revelation of reading this book. So we've talked at length on this show about his very touching relationship with his uh, deceased wife Anne. Mm-hmm. Um, Clearly, as in love with a woman as a person gets.
0: Very sweet.
1: Yes. Such a unit. Did everything together. And as you can see, he's kind of a paranoid guy who isolates himself. So she was kind of his one and only. And then they have a son and probably his two and only. But he's always painting her as in cahoots with him. as You know, like on Mm -hmm. his side, believing everything he's saying, writing his books with him from the grave. When we actually get to the transcript Mm. of Anne's hypnosis sessions, and and hypnosis even seems like the wrong term for her, her Mm -hmm. interviews, she is so straightforward. She is down to earth about this. Mm -hmm. She refuses to call him down to earth earth when they try to level that term. She's like, well, no.
0: (laughs) Oh, I love this exchange. So they're asking her about that giant crystal. Yes. And the hypnosis interviewers ask, did you look for it? And she said, oh, no, because I knew it wasn't real. <laughs> How did you know it wasn't real? Whitley's a fairly down-to-earth guy. No, he isn't. He's not? <laughs> a little later, she says, Whitley, you know, he's, he said he'd flown around the room. What do you say to something like that? But she, yeah. clearly she's trying to be supportive of him yep. and trying not to shoot down his ideas. And, oh, my goodness, before her hypnosis... He even tries to defray it a bit by saying her hypnosis does not reveal a person trying to concoct a story, but rather one trying hard to avoid remembering something she has been told in the strongest terms to forget. She was compliant, all right, but not with the hypnotist. She complied, it appears, with something else that issued previous, stronger suggestions, and they overpowered the hypnotist's efforts for a very obvious reason— my wife appears to have been made to believe that my mental health depends on her not remembering, on her providing me with a safe haven in ordinary reality when I need one.
1: So close to an accurate perception. Oh,
0: man. I, I yep. kept
1: thinking as I was reading this, like, you know, you hear the term unreliable narrator, and Whitley is not an unreliable narrator the way that term's usually used, but he is an unreliable analyzer. Mm-hmm. He like, he'll tell you kind of the bits and pieces of a story and you, the reader, will be like, okay, I see a very clear picture A. Mm -hmm. And then he'll just analyze it in a totally different picture Z.
0: Once he's got a pet theory in his mind, then he can point to hesitations by Anne where she's just, you know, not remembering an otherwise unmemorable night. Yeah. And saying, ah, but earlier in the day, her memories were good. Therefore... Uh. This tells us something that parts of her memory were erased because he can't say that his own beloved Anne is against him in any of this.
1: Yeah, which brings us to something that I kept thinking was so tragic about this story, which is like this false dilemma that he either was abducted by aliens and is the subject of some multi-planet conspiracy theory mm-hmm. or he's and this is his word insane like he's beyond anyone even reaching him anymore he's so nuts like mm-hmm. that's the dichotomy he set up for himself and like yeah. leaves no third space for just like yep. maybe i have like a parasomnia disorder. Maybe I have schizoaffective and I just like need a pill I take once a day. You know, like not, no. No third category where you still have the potential to live an average life and you Mm -hmm. just have a disorder and that's it. And that's so many people.
0: Or he'll say something that feels nice and balanced like that, but Mm -hmm. then he'll spend the other 80% of the time just Mm -hmm. pummeling these other points. He says this in the epilogue. I do not have it in me to be a believer, nor can I be a true skeptic, because I loathe the narrow and love the broad. I cannot say in all truth. <laughs> it's so
1: not true. Yeah. <laughs> He's like such a fine detail thinker, but okay.
0: Fair. He says, I cannot say in all truth that I am certain the visitors are present as entities entirely independent of their observers, nor can I say mm-hmm. that I do not think they are here at all. So, okay, it's this nice poetic mm-hmm. sort of balancing of, oh, well, could be this, could be that. I'm not ruling that out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's making you me think of- You certainly
1: aren't ruling that out.
0: Makes me think of Giorgio sucolo saying, I'm not saying it was aliens. Right. But the clear implication is, I've only left you aliens.
1: You're right, right, right. So, yeah, I, I feel like there's- This uncomfortable question when you read this book of like, so what's, what is up with this dude? Like, what's actually Mm -hmm. happening here? And in psychology, this is always a weird position because like the people who would hand out diagnoses, therapists, are instructed not to speak on this publicly unless they can meet the person in person. Yeah. So it puts everyone in this kind of position of like, well, the experts can't
0: speak. Right. Right. (laughs) Mm
1: -hmm. and that's that's real rough
0: that opens a window for
1: yeah yeah it opens a window for these people to have the only explanation yeah. out avail. I
0: hate to but, make another Trump example, but he'll come out of the courtroom in all of these recent court cases, and he'll just say, this is unfair, this person is against me, and this is a witch hunt, and all of this stuff. And the prosecutors and the judge, they can't say these same things. They have to right. be far more circumspect uh-huh, and uh-huh. careful and cautious in their language. Yeah. And so you get this lopsided narrative.
1: Yeah, true. Well, guess who can make guesses? Whitley. That's
0: true. (laughs) That's quite good.
1: (laughs) I was going to say students. So I've been taking classes at Harvard (laughs) Extension School. And guess what? They're psychology classes and they make us guess about people. Here's what they do. They hand you these case studies and they say, okay, Carrie, if this were a real person, what differential diagnosis would you run through Mm -hmm. to figure out what was going on with them if you were going to be a therapist? And what they don't realize is I don't want to be a therapist. So no, I just know how to do this. So, okay. (laughs) So here are my my six things that I would tell my professor I wanted to run the differential diagnosis on. Um, I'm going to do them in reverse order of how confident I am. Okay. So least confident. Korsakoff syndrome. So. This is when you're low on, I think it's vitamin B1, but it can happen from, uh, there are a bunch of different causes. One is alcoholism, and that doesn't seem to be at play here. Okay. But uh, vision problems, psychosis, disorientation, confabulations, mm-hmm. which is like these aversion of false memory, amnesia, and confusion. Those are all Korsakoff syndrome. Okay. Next thing, uh, I would want to look into the tensile CO poisoning. Oh, yeah. We could. Can't do that now. But uh, yes, yeah,
0: there's some gas leak in that cabin.
1: Worth finding out.
0: Entirely possible and worth checking.
1: And doesn't mean we'd rule out everything else. It mm-hmm. could mean that triggered something pre existing for him. Okay, crawling up the list, I would want to look for bipolar. He mentions suicidal thoughts. He mentions marital and family instability.
0: Mm-hmm. I can hear Whitley already. Well, Anne wasn't being affected in the same way, and she was equally exposed to potential carbon yeah. monoxide. If that's uh, the I'd love
1: to read her memoir, mm-hmm. Whitley. Uh schizotypal personality disorder it involves poor social relationships. Conjuring is actually like listed as a common okay. issue. And then okay, these are the two that I feel the most like. This is where I'd put my money. Schizoaffective, um, which is basically where bipolar meets schizophrenia. Okay. So your delusions and hallucinations and stuff really kick up when you're already like in a bad mood state.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Uh, paranoid delusions are common visual hallucinations are common and then most of all i feel like this guy's autistic
0: oh interesting A sensitivity to
1: oh uh, context stimuli? blindness here's what i've got down context blindness special interests archiving and cataloging mm. unnecessary detail
0: <laughs>
2: oh, <yeah.
1: laughs> uh, increased risk of paranoia or its opposite over trusting and parasomnias, all of those are associated with autism spectrum disorder. Oh wow! And and also, autism spectrum disorder is uh, has high comorbidities with some of the other things on this list.
0: Okay. So and um, we've also talked about, and he raises this possibility: temporal lobe epilepsy.
1: Yeah. So he did raise this because he, you know, smell was such a big part of his experience. Mm-hmm. And that made someone say, oh, temporal lobe epilepsy, which is totally a good guess because he's seeing aliens and that's one thing that can happen. But um, he got a test that some people argue is not sufficient to rule out temporal lobe epilepsy. But he got a test. He, yeah, he made a faithful effort he had to rule that out Two people look
0: at him and said, I'm, I feel confident ruling it out. Uh, but he does write early on that Dr. Klein, his first hypnosis guy, wrote a letter saying that his symptoms, Whitley's symptoms, were consistent with temporal lobe epilepsy. Mm. And that's where Whitley does the little judo move of... Well, what about all these other people that saw the same things? Mm, so mm-hmm. dismissed.
1: Mm-hmm. And he did get this test where they like put he did yeah put things in his nose and try to make the epileptic seizure happen. Uh, and absolutely, he, he did
0: do some uh, some due diligence there, so got to give him credit for that.
1: But it's also worth mentioning: seizure disorders also correlated mm. uh, with autism,
0: and just constant where he'll just be doing something, and next thing you know. He's four hours later. At one point, he tells a story of losing 24 hours where he just keeps kind of like popping up in his house and being like, oh, wait, where am I? It's the middle of the night. Oh, geez, I better eat a lot of food Mm -hmm. because it's the next day from when I was last paying attention. And he'll share lots of stories of other people where they're riding a bike and they find themselves somewhere else on that bike Mm -hmm. or they're driving a car and find themselves somewhere else in that car. Mm -hmm. Like okay, if you're saying that they just popped out and were on a spaceship for a while, we have to account for how the car didn't crash.
1: Well, he was always saying that. He always, yeah. he feels like for some reason that argues for his point of view. I couldn't follow it, well, they, but they, he was constantly mentioning that. Why aren't they going off the road? And I was like, yeah, why aren't they going
0: off the road? Yeah, exactly. He's like, well, they should be in a ditch. Well, okay, but if you're abducting the person, are you abducting the car as well? <laughs> Is that also in the little room with people prodding it? And-
1: And it's the believer's point of view that it was several hours. It's my point of view that it was probably a few seconds.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. My Mm -hmm. point
1: of view is that you probably zoned out for a few seconds, and then there was a confabulation incident where you restored a bunch of hours that weren't actually there. That feels like the
0: more parsimonious explanation. And you're talking about details. Just constantly, he's throwing out these stories, and they're full of so many strange elements. And he kind of pitches this as... The visitors sort of messing with us by having these things happen to you, the the taken. That's a phrase that he uses for people who are contactees, abductees. He thinks that like they're doing these kind of purposely odd things to sort of mess with the minds of these taken people so that when they tell the stories later, it'll sound Incredible and unbelievable.
1: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Incredible as
0: in not credible.
1: Yes, the screen memory part.
0: The screen memory part or even just the details recovered from Mm. hypnosis or what have you. They're just so random and bizarre. Like he had this one incident. This was one of the little side stories, not with the core narrative, but it was back at their place in New York. There was a loud sound and a seltzer bottle had exploded into smithereens. And you wonder, well, why? What what does the seltzer bottle have to do with anything? Mm -hmm. Why is that connected? Or another person who was taken in this almost therapy group that Bud Hopkins had put together, they had seen green triangles on their walls. Like, well, what are the green triangles for? Just all these weird little incidental details that for me were crazy making because... I just kept thinking, like, how is this connected to your narrative at all? Oh, you saw a weird thread descend from the sky? What are the threads in this narrative? What do they do?
1: I mean, these are great notes to keep. Like, keep them in your files, mm. Whitley. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's the note-taking, there's the archiving, there's the science of it, and then there's the, you're writing a book.
0: <laughs> you're editing a book, so, yeah. yeah, go ahead and Let's...
1: summarize. Find narrative through life. Figure out what's important. It, it, it,
0: it doesn't have to be 299 pages it could be 250
1: yeah but you're right he has he really can float between this like very analytical locked in rigid like looking right at two things and and lock out everything else and then this like very flowy state where he's just like oh. you know anything's possible and I just wish I could sort of take into the middle <laughs> a little
0: yeah it's a lot and it's it's confusing it, the book puts you in a little bit of a fugue state <laughs> just- <laughs> reading it we're like what? wait what just happened what's going on
1: well what about the movie
0: it's interesting because the movie shows us the version of events where we've sort of built up already not only his initial recollection of the experience but all of his hypnosis induced ones as well so you'll have you know greys showing up immediately and oh the greys are funny looking in the movie
1: I loved them yeah yeah (laughs)
0: because they look really like kind of
1: like Job of the Hutt
0: yeah yeah and like they're made out of putty or something Uh, they look very fake it's
1: all like practical effects it's so great oh yeah And, I love this movie. And they'll
0: have like a scene where he's just dancing with them. They have like a little dance yeah. party, him and the aliens. And, you know, that is in the book, but no. And it's you, Christopher
1: Walken. He's a great dancer. Yes.
0: Yeah, you've got Christopher Walken in this bizarre hey, ass hat. Just
1: dancing with these aliens. I've
0: got this really tall hat <laughs> and I'm dancing with the puppet aliens. This is good movie making. <laughs> You told me he wanted Dan Aykroyd for the film? Yes. Oh, that would have been... I want to see both versions, but I think I would prefer the Dan Aykroyd I, version. I
1: think it's another vote for my
0: hypothesis. Christopher, which is...
1: Oh, of autism spectrum disorder. Oh, okay. I, I mean, Dan Aykroyd just openly has autism. Okay. Yeah.
0: And Dan Aykroyd is a big supporter of the paranormal. And
1: I think he would have also been very interesting. Yeah. Um, and I, but totally I loved Walken. I thought he was so great and so strange. And Drew said... It's he, weird we were watching yeah, yeah. he was like this is what it would be like, like where you think, "Oh my God, am I going crazy?" And then you're trying to convince everyone around you, like, "No, no, it's funny, ha 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 ha." <laughs> you know.
0: It's funny you say that because there's this one moment where Christopher Walken has this really just bizarre laugh in response to something that happens, and so my son Drew and I, like, we kept repeating that laugh for Kara, and it was really <laughs> annoying her. <laughs> She's like, "Stop it!"
1: What's the laugh?
0: And now I'm trying to remember. <laughs> it was kind of like, ah, 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 <laughs> kind of a laugh. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. The okay. Staccato- yeah, so strange. Percussive,
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah. And just speaking back to the aliens again, so Whitley doesn't just have the greys. I think that's an important thing to get across here mm. is that it's not just these short grey aliens with the big black eyes. He has a whole panoply of...
1: Little blue guys. Yeah, the little
0: blue dwarf guys. And in the book, he keeps talking about coveralls. Everyone's wearing coveralls, like they're ready to work on your car or something. <laughs> but you've got like these little bluish gray guys. And then you've got, like he remembers from earlier in his childhood, blank page white aliens with blue eyes. It, those don't play as big of a, a, a role. But the praying mantises, they certainly show up. And we've heard about praying mantises before from Linda Moulton Howe, like they giant Oh, yes, and they're my
1: spirit animal, you know. That
0: controls the universe right Right, and your spirit animal. So they definitely make a big showing in here. And that's not even all of it. He not only talks about multiple types of aliens that he's seen, but ones that others have seen as well. And he just kind of gladly lets all of these species in. And for all of his speculation, he doesn't do too much speculating about different races or planets. He'll just kind of acknowledge broadly that could be the case. Some of the puppetry work is just <laughs> so bad. Like, you have this alien that rushes at him quickly. And that's how he describes it in the book, you know, with this glowing object in his hand. <laughs> it looks so silly. Like, this thing's on rails. Yeah. Being flung I, it. I,
1: I love practical effects, though. They're so much better sure. than special effects. So sure. it's really fun to watch. Uh, the cinematography is really fun, too. They just pick these like extreme Dutch tilts. They're mm. just like, let's set the camera almost on its <laughs> side. Why? He's going on the
0: bus. Another weird thing about the movie is, and, and he wrote the Screenplay, but Anne is not depicted as this like loving, supportive wife. She's more of this like accusing, termagant wife who's constantly saying, You're not doing enough and mm. uh, stop it with all this craziness and yelling at Christopher Walken. It's just strange, like that he would sort of allow that portrayal of Anne.
1: Oh, interesting. I didn't even clock that part of it. There the was movie. so much going on. Um, I feel like we should also mention. Little blue men come to visit him at night, and they're like workers. They're like day laborers or something. Look what was also on TV at the time. Smurfs. The Smurfs. Remember them? Yeah. That lasted till 1989. It was about little blue men. Little
0: blue men. Okay. They
1: were workers. I don't know. It just feels like his mind is so porous to mm-hmm. pop culture.
0: And all the... Clues are in there, and I've got to give him credit at least for including these things that potentially could be used against him. Yeah. Kind of like, I don't know. And here we are. Reading the Gospels. Every now and then you say the quiet part out loud, and you're like, wait a second. Mm -hmm. (laughs) What does that mean, Mm -hmm. Whitley? But- thank you also for giving me that piece of info. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's sort of a symptom of him including too many details, but some of that can certainly be interesting.
1: Oh yeah, no, I like it. I mean, like if he wanted to just hand me this full folder I'm interested in it. it's just not well organized, that's my complaint.
0: Yeah, and I, I gotta say, there's things happening. Like as I was taking notes on almost every page, I had some new event to talk about. So we're leaving a lot out. There's like this whole memory of him when he was 12 and seeing his dad on a train taken by these aliens and sort of tortured and that changes his memories of that and then he has this altered memory of his mom at his dad's death and
1: that these will usually start with some index memory that's just like i took the train
0: right my friends and i were playing out on a lot and we saw a fireball in the sky cool and then you talk to the friend they're like yeah i remember the fireball great but he now remembers uh, the motorcycle approaching, which turns out it was actually a praying mantis that was absurdly <laughs> large. And it was staring at him and it was making him uncomfortable and it looked but, like a skull.
1: But now I've included you in my book as <laughs> confirmation. Do you want to speak out against me, your friend of many years? No? OK, bye.
0: <laughs> and he keeps talking about how he's lost friends after this, like he was part of the writing community and then people left him. Yeah. It's wild.
1: Yeah. So, Whitley, I wanna, we want to be your friend. Yeah. We want to be your friend. Oh, he, I think he lives in Santa Monica.
0: Oh, you're nearby now.
1: And, I just want to say, I re-listened to some audio of him from last year. Um, it was actually during the Linda Moulton Howe talk that you weren't at. It was yeah. just me. And she couldn't get her slideshow to work, of course. And so she asks him to stand up and vamp, which wow. <laughs> I mean, what, what a gift. So, uh, so Whitley stands up, he just starts talking and...
0: He can do that.
1: He can do that. Hey,
0: we, we got to fill 15 minutes. Whitley, go.
1: But the story he told, I like I quickly fumble for my recorder and turn it on. The story that he told at the time, I could Quite follow. And then on re-listening, I was like, oh no. This is a story about you driving through Santa Monica and having one of your episodes. And the police officer pulls you over and is being very kind to you, but you think you're in a different world. Mm -hmm. And so the police officer is (laughs) Whitley's like, he looks at me so kindly, so lovingly this this police officer from another world. Oh. <laughs> and he, he says, do you know how you were driving? And I'm like, yes. That's just like, oh, I see. I see through this story. Yeah. Yep. But it makes me concerned that he probably shouldn't be driving. Right, yeah. You know, I Yeah. So, I don't know. It's so uncomfortable with a guy who's approaching 80 to be like, here are the things I think are up with you. But the thing is, he's a public figure and he's still out there saying all this and convincing people that it's aliens. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. here we are.
0: Yep. Here we are. But like you say, Whitley, we definitely want to be your friend. Yeah. Uh,
1: He's so cool. It'd be
0: fun to talk to you. And uh, also, uh, thank you to the listener who reached out to uh, a friend at rice university we do oh, have good. we have a connection to the archives now oh great and unfortunately they're not digitized but yeah okay. I, can, I can tell you more later but essentially all we need to do is get ourselves to houston i uh, can, can do that we can look through his stuff so.
1: okay yeah yeah cool yeah,
0: that'll be fun Yeah, I I feel bad because, like, "Mm, geez, I took like, uh, I don't know, 13 pages of notes. There's a lot. There's (laughs) so much in this book that was really interesting, intriguing, funny, uh, unexpected. It's not a funny book, let me say that. Mm -hmm. But there were things I found funny. Mm -hmm. Uh, And
1: there are really beautiful passages.
0: Yes. Oh, my goodness. And all this, like, he has this whole theory about triangles and how they're so important in all religions and in our history and how the visitors are forming a new triangle with us and that we're going to complete it together. Oh, my goodness. Exactly. It's It's, it's, exactly. It's a lot. Uh, Whitley,
1: absolutely. Uh,
0: but hopefully at least that gives you kind of a, a broad view of Whitley Strieber. I got to mention also, <laughs> apropos of nothing, but I'm just looking at this part of my notes, he was talking about the discovery of the double helix by Robert Crick. I was like, Robert, who's Robert Crick? Francis Crick.
1: Oh yeah. That does sound a right. Weird, yeah. A
0: weird thing to like mm, get wrong in a book. Yeah. And then he's like talking about how our entire, Crick. our entire race arose from a single female in North Africa between 140,000 oh, yeah. and It's like, Okay, you're confusing mitochondrial Eve with this broad statement about how we all came from this one woman. Like, that's not at all a useful characterization of heredity. And he also talks about her walking on the Mesopotamian savanna. Like, no, that's that's wrong, too. She mm. would still be in Africa. <laughs> anyway. <just, laughs> she walked
1: really far, Ross.
0: For this book that's so famous, I kept finding, like, little spelling errors and editing mistakes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's always interesting as well. Just how did this happen?
1: Yeah, well, it tells you something about whether there was editing...
0: Yeah, how really much all. scrutiny was applied to Yeah, this thing that ended up being in, you know, presumably he didn't know it would blow up like it did, but it really did blow up.
1: And you listened to the audiobook and you noted that he makes these sort of in the moment uh, corrections or updates to the language yeah. and, uh, that may or may not be. Good because you yeah. want your in something like this. I want your original thoughts from 1987. I don't, I don't care what you think about it now, Whitley. Yeah. Like,
0: I wish I hadn't waited till near the end, but yeah, I got the audiobook and I was curious. To just hear his delivery of this in general. Yeah. I was also curious to see if he left in descriptions where he talks about the visitor's eyes being more slanted than in Orientals.
1: Oh, right, right, right. And And then he he uses like a derogatory term for black children.
0: Yeah. He sees some of these aliens with coveralls in his room and he counts them in his hypnosis. There's six of them. and, And then he yells out tar babies we've got tar babies in here oh it, wait, wait, wait. i
1: hadn't even i didn't even know this term but yeah it's it, it,
0: it hasn't certainly aged.
1: comes off racist
0: <laughs> <laughs> hasn't aged well yeah. and i don't think it's damning of him as a person but you know he's under hypnosis and that's sort of what comes up
1: right and, it tells you something about like what I was, what re- things are floating around in the lexicon i was really of
0: curious when you're recording online. this in 2022 i think this was a very recent re-release of the audio version i thought maybe he'd There's clean these the things up you
1: can make yeah update that I'll give the thumbs up. <laughs> but too. no,
0: no, he stayed true to the text, except like you're saying, every now and then he just sort of change a word.
1: Yeah. The example you gave me was that the original text said, I went to bed. And then in the reading, he said, we went to bed. Yeah. Which actually it's is a different. factual difference. Absolutely. Is it, it you or is it you and A? It that?
0: paints a different picture. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, I would find those just tiny little course corrections uh, yeah. regularly. That's around. not great. Anyways. Okay. Well, we could go on a lot longer, but I've got to run off
1: Yes, Ross is going to go be a poll worker. Thank you, Ross. Oh, yeah,
0: go vote if you're in California or one of the Super Tuesday states. And if you're in a later state, vote. These midterm, smaller elections that don't get as many people voting. Let your voice be heard. Of course, I'm speaking to people in the U.S., but also wherever you are. Exercise your suffrage.
1: I will. I do. I do it every day. Yeah, go get your voter guide. Spend 45 minutes on it. A lot of people build this up way too much. Yeah. Go and read it. It's
0: intimidating. Check out uh, recommendations from your local op ed board, people you respect. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, when you have questions, look them up. Anyways. (laughs) vote
1: that's a basic instruction on how to educate yourself and vote
0: i mean it's a process it does take a little while
1: yeah yeah no yeah i feel like people will get to like the day of and be like i don't know anything and i'm like the day of you can still know more than most people do
0: i've seen people hang out in the poll booth for well over an hour on their phones just kind of looking things up and hey i'm all for it
1: that's their dedicated time do it that's their study hall
0: (laughs) Well, that's it for our review of Whitley Strieber's Communion, A True Story.
1: Loved it, A+. plus Movie, A+. plus. Didn't expect that. Oh! <laughs> Drew, what did you get Communion? Um, I give it uh, thumbs up. Thumbs up. And one thumbs up from Drew.
0: Okay, I gave it two out of five stars when I watched it
1: wow. six
0: years ago, and I gave it the same this time around.
1: Wow.
0: I mean, it's not a good movie. Wow! But if you're interested in the story itself and want to see the film I version. I think it's a
1: good movie.
0: Okay. Well, good. I'm glad you enjoyed but my,
1: it. But my movie taste is inexplicable. I can never explain <laughs> what I like. I'm just like, this was good. This was not good.
0: I kept thinking my alternate suggestion for a subtitle for Communion would be whatever that means because I, I kept saying that throughout the book as I was reading it like whatever that means whatever that means and I think it fits with the title too communion whatever that means that's my proposed ultimate title
1: that's uh that's a polite way of saying you need an editor
0: <laughs> yes all right. Well, that's it for this review. Our administrative manager is Ian Kramer.
1: This episode was edited by poll volunteer Ross Blotcher.
0: Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. You can support us. Maximum Fun Drive is coming up. You know what? Don't yes. support us Don't now. Don't you
1: fucking dare. If you become a member right now, I will come to your house and I will take out all your <laughs> potted plants and I'll throw them on the lawn. If
0: you even think of going to MaximumFun.org join, <laughs> fie upon you. <laughs>
1: We're going to put tombstones on your lawn.
0: If you could see the look on Carrie's face, you wouldn't even dare. <laughs> Why
1: are all my ideas lawn-based right now? I don't know. I don't know either. Whitley would make K out of that, I'm
0: But sure. you can support us by leaving positive reviews, telling a friend. Blow up the internet with us.
1: Why not? And remember, there's another possible explanation for Anne's testimony. It could be an expression of faith for a man she deeply loves and desires to protect even from the toils of madness by a subtle act of confirmation, really a hidden communion an indirect sharing of an experience she did not have enough information about to confirm in convincing detail. One night in April, she talked in her sleep. I had thought to call this book Body Terror because of the extreme physical sensation of fear I'd felt on December 26th. Suddenly, she said in a strange, basso-profundo voice, The book must not frighten people. You should call it communion because that's what it's about. I looked over at her, intending to say why I thought my title was better, (laughs) and saw that she was totally asleep. Then I realized where I have heard that voice before. I went to my wife, and I looked down at her sleeping form, my mind full of question and wonder. Whatever that means.
0: SoundHeap with John Luke Roberts is a real podcast made up of fake podcasts. Like, if you had a cupboard in your lower back, what would you keep in it? So I'm going to say mugs. A
1: little yoghurt and a spoon.
0: A small handkerchief that was given to me by my grandmother on her deathbed. Maybe some spare honey? I'd keep batteries in it. I'd pretend to be a toy. If I had a cupboard in my lower back, I'd probably fill it with spines. If you had a cupboard in your lower back, what would you keep in it doesn't exist. We made it up for Sound Heap with John Luke Roberts. An award-winning comedy podcast from Maximum Fun, made up of hundreds of stupid podcasts. Listen and subscribe to Sound Heap with John Luke Roberts.